welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your tour guide through history today. And we're going to take a look at a cemetery in Leroy Township, Calhoun County, just south of Battle Creek. And we're going to explore the history of one family in which the cemetery bears its name. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to give you some tips on genealogy, which I frequently get asked about from my listener. So come along and join me. On my YouTube channel, I spend a lot of time doing history videos throughout the year, doing tours through cemeteries. And it's just a good starting point when you're looking for history stories is to go to a cemetery and see who's buried there and see if you can locate their story. That is just a way that I started expanding some of my research into local history. And it's a different approach to telling stories of history that I found unique and the audience seems to like it. I began my first journey through telling stories from a cemetery's point of view of the people that are buried there when I first visited Oak Hill Cemetery last year or the year prior. And I made a video of some of the well-known headstones in the area. And from there, there was a lot of um, positive response on my YouTube channel from the history that I presented that day. So I went back to Oak Hill and did several more videos there. And then after a time, I decided, well, I will venture into other cemeteries. And it became more of a challenge because there was a lot of material available on Oak Hill Cemetery. But there wasn't so much material available on these other cemeteries, so it required a lot more research to take on those projects. And over time, I have probably done videos on 15, maybe 20 different cemeteries at this point. I've kind of lost count. Uh, if you want to find them on my uh, YouTube channel, I've got several uh, all over Calhoun County. I've done a few in other counties, and they're uh, always a fascinating journey through history. And then I've also done some cemetery tours that I visited in the regional area and attended events put on by local historical societies. And those are always wonderful to uh, look back on and hear the stories of the people that are buried there from the research of other people. But a cemetery that I ventured down to last year was Morgan Cemetery, which is in East Leroy. And it is in Leroy Township. And it's just south of Battle Creek. The Morgan family is whom the cemetery is named after. There's a lot of other families buried there, as it is with many other cemeteries. But there's quite a lot of the members of the Morgan family. And so when I did the video that I made on there, I did some research into the Morgan family, and I continued to keep researching it, and I told a large portion of the stories that I found there in that video just on the Morgan family. And I thought it would be very fascinating to revisit this in this podcast episode because it just exemplifies how one family out of many who were pioneer families that came into southwest Michigan had an impact on the community in so many different ways, from the original patriarchs of the family to the children and so forth. So I researched a lot of the family members there, and I'm going to take you through some of the storyline. William Morgan Jr., he married Susan Crook, and they were both natives of Kent County, England. 
And together, they immigrated to the United States in 1829, taking a voyage that took six weeks on a sailing vessel to reach New York. They then took a canal boat to Buffalo, where an oxen team was purchased, and then they made their way to their new home in the woods near Mina, New York. William and Susan literally hewed a farm out of the wilderness in Chautauqua County while raising their family there. They eventually sold that farm, and then they moved to Erie, Pennsylvania, where they again engaged in farming with a fair amount of success. In 1867, William moved his family to Michigan, and he purchased land surrounding where there is present-day Morgan Cemetery here in uh, Leroy Township, which included a small cemetery on the land on a knoll. At that time, the cemetery was known as Robinson Cemetery. The cemetery was old then, and it was covered by weeds and briars, and he didn't like the unsightly appearance, and he took time to clean it up, And over time, recognizing that it needed more room, he added, on three different occasions, he sold small parcels of his own land until it became a three-acre tract. Over time, from the additions of his own land, the name of Robinson was slowly dropped, and it became well-known as Morgan's Cemetery. Now, William and Susan had three sons, Jabez, William III, and Benjamin. And they had three daughters, Rebecca, Susan, and Mary. Now, William passed away in 1869 at the age of 77. He was a farmer in that area of Leroy Township. And Susan passed away three years later in 1872 at the age of 82. Now, their daughter, Susan Morgan, was born in 1819 in England and came to the U.S. with her parents when she was eight years old. She was the oldest child, and she moved with her family first to New York, then to Ohio, and finally to Michigan. And at some point, she married and became Susan Hyde. At the time of her death, she was living with her sister Rebecca and Mary in Battle Creek and was a widow. She died of heart trouble in 1911 at the age of 91, and she's buried in Oak Hill Cemetery in Battle Creek. Jabez Morgan was the oldest son, and he was born in 1821, and he lived in Leroy Township most of his life. He was also a farmer and would raise eight children. He passed away in 1907, and he's buried in the Mather Voice Cemetery in Leroy Township. He would have come to the U.S. when he was just six years old with his parents traveling across the water. Rebecca Morgan was born in England in 1824, and she immigrated to the U.S. with her parents in 1828, and she was just four years old at that time. At some point as a young woman, she returned to England, and she married John Highland in 1844 in Maidstone, Kent. Together, they would have two children, a son named William and a daughter named Florence. She'd become a widow at the age of 26, and she would return to the U.S. with her children to be with her family while they were still in Erie, Pennsylvania, and later she moved with them to Michigan. She began working with her sister Mary in a millinery business in Erie, Pennsylvania. Millinery is the craft of designing and making women's hats. When they moved to Battle Creek, they opened a new shop, 
and ran that business for 40 years in the downtown Battle Creek area. Her brother, William, built the Morgan Block in the city and reserved a space for her millinery store and residence there. Today, this would be right near the intersection of Michigan Avenue and Carlisle Street, where there's a parking garage today. It shows up next to a creamery on the Sanborn fire map of uh, 1907. Her daughter, Florence, worked with her in the business, and Rebecca would pass away in 1911 at the age of 87 here in Battle Creek. William Morgan III was born in 1826. He was the last child in this family to be born in England, and he came to the U.S. with his parents when he was just two years old. Can you imagine taking a voyage of six weeks on a sailing vessel with four young children, one being a toddler? Just unbelievable what some of these early pioneer immigrants endured to come to the New World. After he became older, William had gotten into the dairy business when he was 21 years old, living in Erie, Pennsylvania. And he stayed in that area over 21 years, and eventually he moved to Bedford Township to be closer to his family, and he purchased a farm. In 1862, he married Eleanor Gordon, and together they would have two children, a daughter, Jessie, and a son, Benjamin. Eleanor passed away in 1897, And William eventually grew his farm to 370 acres by 1912. The Morgan family was known all over the county as a successful dairy farm with 34 dairy cows and other stock cattle. William would drive daily into Battle Creek to deliver farm produce and milk to his customers. It was said that in his obituary, that in his later years, he was nearly blind but he still continued to deliver milk to his patrons. His team of horses seemed to be endowed with an almost uncanny human intelligence, and they knew right where to stop at every home where he made his deliveries. He passed away in 1913, and he's buried at Oak Hill Cemetery today. In Battle Creek, Morgan Road still bears his name. So if you ever wondered how Morgan Road came into being and who it was named after, it was named after William Morgan III. Benjamin Morgan is buried in the Morgan Cemetery as well, and he was born in 1829 on his parents' farm in Mina, New York. He came to Michigan when he was 25 years old through Canada and then through Michigan and on into Chicago and out onto the Great Plains. He expected to go to California, and he decided to allow the flipping of a penny to solve the question for him if he would continue his journey west towards California, or he would return east. The coin's decision was east, so he ultimately went to work for a lumberman in Pennsylvania and purchased a farm entirely on credit. And he proved his ability to pay for it, in full within less than the time that was stipulated on the agreement. He then went into the oil business in Mecca, Ohio, but this was a failure, so he bought a farm and began to raise cattle and ship them east. Around the time his parents moved to Michigan, he joined them, and he bought a 197-acre farm in the Leroy Township area and added to it over the years until at one time he was the largest landowner in Calhoun County. 
You can see his parcels of land on the 1894 Atlas. He was in the dairy business like his brother, and he also bred cattle and horses and raised celery. He was married twice. First, he was married to Harriet Tracy in 1852, and together they had eight children. Harriet passed away in 1890, and then he married Sarah Elizabeth Garrett in 1906. In May of 1917, he celebrated his 88th birthday with his family, but was already experiencing failing health at this point, and Benjamin died in November of that year. Mary Morgan is perhaps the most amazing story of the entire family. She was the youngest child of this family, and she was born in 1832 in Mina, New York. Throughout her life, she would tell stories of growing up in her childhood home, which was a log cabin with a wide fireplace. The blazing fire providing light for which her mother would read to them. She described how her mother learned to twist a piece of cloth and place it in a saucer of grease and later molded them into tallow candles. With the later development of the kerosene lamp, then gas, and then electricity, Mary had lived through the whole cycle of illumination in her lifetime. Mary, as an adult, was only five feet in height. She was very small as a child, so much that when her mother took her to her first day of school, the teacher asked if she had also brought a cradle with her. She never grew up with dolls, but she had all kinds of live pets, gooselings being her favorite. Throughout her life, she loved birds and was known to always be feeding them outside her home. When she was 21 years old, Mary learned the millinery trade in Erie, Pennsylvania. To learn that trade in her day was a real undertaking. She knew the whole process of making hats, from bleaching to blocking and pressing and steaming them, she conducted her millinery business for 20 years before she moved to Battle Creek in 1872. Her sister, Rebecca, worked with her in Erie for 10 years before she moved with her. So the millinery business was established by Mary, and Rebecca joined her when Rebecca returned back to the country from England. And their business in Battle Creek employed 18 women, which was uh, quite something for that time period. Mary never married. She was known affectionately among her family and the people who knew her in Battle Creek as Aunt Mary. Her niece, Florence, worked with her and her sister in the millinery. At one time, she lived with Rebecca, Susan, and Florence and lived in a house on Garfield Street. They eventually sold the millinery business in 1906 after Susan and Rebecca died in 1911. Florence and Mary made a pact to always live together and care for each other. So Florence was her niece, and Mary was Aunt Mary. And so Mary was an avid reader her entire adult life and read the daily paper in its entirety every day. She loved her garden and would always set the table on special holidays and enjoyed visiting relatives and friends in the area, of which there were many. She lived to the astounding age of 103 and maintained good health her entire life. In fact, her family said that when she passed away, in the days preceding her death, they had hardly noticed any decline in her condition. 
in her long obituary, she was described as naturally cheerful and hopeful. Aunt Mary radiated happiness and was beloved by all who knew her. For many years, she had been the inspiration of the Morgan family reunions. In the summer, it was Aunt Mary's picnic, and the winter, it was her birthday anniversary. In later years, she was unable to take automobile rides, but was said to have enjoyed sitting on her porch watching the world go by. She was the oldest living resident in Battle Creek at the time of her death in 1935, and she's buried at Oak Hill Cemetery. And that will conclude that research into the family that I did at the Morgan Cemetery. And as you can see that I broke down the family tree and I tried to follow what happened to each of the children that I was able to uncover. Today, there's still a lot of Morgan family members living in the Battle Creek area, and they're a very long and established family, and they were a very large family, especially at the time of Mary's death. So it just shows one example of a pioneer family that thrived and prospered and had a tremendous impact on the community from being merchants to farmers to dairy farmers, providing dairy business. And, um, of course, Mary and her sister in the millinery business downtown and employing 18 women over the years. It's quite an interesting story. It shows a little bit of a snapshot of some of that area's history. And over the years that I've been doing the videos and the podcast episodes, I have people that will reach out and say, oh, well, uh, research my family history for me and do a video and, and, and share it. And, and I have a lot of those requests that come my way. And unfortunately, I can't follow through with that. That would be spending all this time researching somebody's family tree for them. And that's not what I do this for. I do it because of uh, my own interest, and I want to explore a story that interests me. But if you want to learn about genealogy, I would highly recommend you look into some genealogy groups and take part in that um, and do some study on your own. So I thought it would give you a few tips of where to start if you were interested in doing that. Obviously, the first place to start would be your own family records based on whatever records your family might have. Now, that may be nothing or it may be a collection of old photographs or maybe some old documents that would been passed down through the family. I'd start with that if you had that available to you. Most of the time in the research that I'm doing, I don't have anything that I start with. In fact, a lot of the stories that I have researched from cemeteries have been when I've just gone there, seen an interesting headstone, and filmed it, and then come back and try to look up the name of the person and start on the path for a data trail. And where I usually begin is I will go to the Willard Library archives or a local library where that cemetery is located, if there are any libraries in the area, and I will search that person's name and the year that they died. I take all the information down on the headstone, and I will see if an obituary was written about the person, which will tell me some of the history of the story. And then from that obituary, oftentimes there are clues as to what the person did in life. And if they were a merchant or a business owner, then you can backtrack it and search that business with their name and find information about them, for example. Or if they were a farmer, and it's mentioned in their obituary. You can look up some old maps that are also available. If you're in the Calhoun County area, I use the Willard Library site, but there's a lot of national archives at the 
Library of Congress, if you're looking for a specific old township map for the area that you're living in. So let's say that you're over in Kalamazoo County or in St. Joseph County or in Berrien County, you could go on the National Archives maps at the Library of Congress and search for that county's historic maps and see how many they have and how old they are. And then you look at the date of the person's time of living and hopefully you find something during the time when they were alive and you'll be able to locate what their parcel looked like on the map during that time period. And you can also do that with your local libraries, as I mentioned before. Other places that you can find out great information are online. Some of them you pay for if you want to go that route. If you want to spend a little monthly fee, you can go on Ancestry.com. and They've got some database searching that you can use there. I don't use Ancestry.com because I've got too many subscriptions for too many different things that I pay for already. Um, There's also Newspapers.com, which is a very broad database with newspapers in it. It doesn't have every township and every city's newspaper. They have a pretty good collection of archives in there, and I pay for a subscription for that. There's another one called newspaperarchives.com. They're very similar, and you pay for subscriptions to that, and you search the story, or you can narrow it down by the newspapers from the time period and try to find some more information about a particular person. And I've been fairly successful researching some stories using the those broader uh, newspaper databases and, and piecing together stories in my research. Another website that is probably one of the better ones to look for personal genealogy information, and that's called FamilySearch.org. And this is a website put out by the LDS Church. Now, I'm not a member of the LDS. You don't have to be a member to sign up. You can sign up for a free account on there. The Latter-day Saints religion is very much integrated with family genealogy, and they have a tremendous records database for the entire country that they've put together on this website. And it's free. You just get a free account and you can do searching for a particular person's name and you will come up with records. Sometimes you will find a birth certificate. Sometimes you will find a marriage certificate on there or a U.S. census of when and where they lived. And a lot of times the old censuses will tell you a lot more about the other family members that were living in the household at the time. Um, there's older censuses don't have a lot of data on it. They're a little bit limited, but they will tell you who the head of the household was, which is usually the man. And then it'll tell you the spouse if, if they're married and then the names of the children that are residing in the home. And sometimes you'll find out if another relative was living there too. And they'll often list their ages or um, sometimes it will also list their professions Typically, it's just the man that they have as the profession in the older censuses. But that's where you can get other clues as to what the person did for a living. And another place that I will also search for information is on library websites. I will look for old biographical books that were written from the period. There were a lot of collection of biographies published in different counties about the pioneer history of the period. And so if you have access to those, and a lot of them are free, like Willard has a good collection on their site, 
But one resource that I use to find a lot of biographies from different counties is the University of Michigan Library. If you just Googled universityofmichigan.edu, you'll be directed to it. And they have Michigan County Histories collections that are available on there. And you can go in there and search an individual's name if you have a last name that's um, kind of unique, you're going to get better results if it's a last name that's unique. You don't want to go in there searching a family name like Smith or Clark. Uh, in that case, you'd probably want to type in the full name of the person and see if there's any record for them. Um, but if it's got a unique last name, you could search just the last name of the individual. And it will give you a list of all of the Michigan County biographies that are available that mention that person's name. Sometimes you'll find that there's a duplicate person named that that was an entirely different part of the state and had no connection to that person, which I've encountered a few times. But often you'll it'll give you a clue to one person that you're looking for, and it may lead you down another data trail for more information about the story, which will help you search it in local newspapers of the time and maybe find a piece of the story that you had not connected yet. And I've done that many times going back and forth with research. So I will bounce back between multiple sites and try to find information on multiple searching sites. Some of the free newspaper sites that are out there are obviously your local library. There's also a Michigan newspapers website that is free. And they have a fair amount of stock. I think you have to set up an account, and there's an approval process with a few of them. There's a Michigan library as well that I uh, signed up for recently, and I had to go through a couple of days' approval process before I could access it. And there's some good information on some of those sites as well. So there are some free newspaper sites out there. There are some that are subscription-based. And I would try those for like a 30-day trial and see if you like it and test a couple of different ones before you pick one. Um, I've tried a couple of different ones myself and um, find one that I feel more comfortable using than others. So it's just a little bit of an interesting search. But if you were doing your own family history, you would probably want to start with where they were known to have lived, search their name in familysearch.org. Find out as much information as you can that way. That'll give you um, census information, marriage information. And oftentimes you will also find when you do that, that you will uncover records where the person's name was misspelled from what you currently know it as. And there's a lot of cases like that when you start digging into the 1800s. Part of that is because there was a lot of illiteracy during that period. Not everybody knew how to read or write. And so when they would be approached by a census taker and asked what their name was, they would give it to them, but they wouldn't know how to spell it for the census taker. So the census taker would phonetically write down what they thought they were being told was the spelling of the name. And oftentimes they got it wrong. They would change uh, a last name with a spelling of an E instead of an O, or they would change it completely different um, in terms of how it was sounding or based on the person's accent. And, and for, I'll give you an example of that. I was researching the story of Sarah Haviland, and her name was spelled H-A-V-I-L-A-N-D. 
And I was trying to find out what happened to some of her children. And through searching, I was able to find what happened to one of her sons. And his census records and marriage records were spelt Heveland. And so there was an E put into his name, which would have made it very difficult to find had I not known that and found that out. So you might try different misspellings of your name if you have a family name that could potentially be misspelled, and search it that way. The familysearch.org will try to account for that, and they will, you can narrow your parameters if you have a, a common-sounding name or common name like uh, Smith or Clark or even Morgan in the case of today's example. That might be a, a lot of people that are Morgan. So it will help you search and narrow parameters if you know the date of the person's birth or death. And um, I would also be careful on assuming that what was written on the headstone is accurate. Um, I found cases where birth dates were different from what was engraved in the headstone. Sometimes the people didn't know exactly what year they were born. They just knew they were 12 years old when they came to the U.S. And so it was assumed that they were born in a specific year, but maybe they were born the year prior you know, and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of uh, mistakes. So never assume anything that you see is 100% accurate. This is what I've learned. There are misspelled uh, historical records. There are misspelled documents. There are misengraved headstones. There are mistakes in biographies that you will find. I have found references to somebody in a biography where they said they died in a particular year, but it was actually a typo by that author and they actually had died a decade earlier, or they lived or died a decade later. And there was a case of that when I was researching a story down in Athens, that the headstone actually was was accurate because it was when they died. And I would often lean towards the accuracy of the death date on the headstone, but not so much the birth date. That may be inaccurate. Um, obviously, the death date, you know, because you got the body there, and they tell you when the person died, and that's engraved in the stone. So oftentimes, that's a stable datum to go with. What's engraved in the stone is the year they died. However, it's not always the case with the birth date on the headstone, is what I've learned. And so you have to kind of be willing to realize that there are mistakes as you do research. Sometimes you never know what the actual accuracy is, because you'll have conflicting records. And um, what you know when you have a conflicting record is either one or both are false. And it's sometimes hard to prove which is the case. You know, so either the record with the biography has the wrong date or the birth date is incorrectly written on the census or the person's name is incorrectly spelled. And um, it's just it's a fascinating journey when you start doing research. So if you're going to delve in to try to find your family research, those are a few tips that I can offer you. And I thought that would be interesting to hear about today. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like today's podcast, please take some time to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you could do a rating on there as well, that would be greatly appreciated. It always helps me to find new listeners to help keep history alive in Southwest Michigan. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. I get two or three contact forms a week sometimes. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>